Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of the History of Gear, Michael Levy, the owner and editor of the legendary climbing publication Summit Journal, talks about the rebirth of the publication and the impact of the journal on climbing going back to 1955. Welcome back, everyone. This is Chase um, with another episode of our History of Gear series. Um, and joining me today, Michael Levy, the owner of Summit Magazine, or now Summit Journal. Um, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chase. Um, uh, and yes, rebranding as Summit Journal. Yeah, that's great. Well, we'll probably get into a little bit of why that is, um, but wanted to start off first um, just saying... Summit Magazine is one of my favorite publications that we have here in the Outdoor Recreation Archive. It's one of those magazines that really jumped out at me. I think a lot of that goes back to to the the cover art um, is is incredible. Well, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about the impact of that artwork. Um, and it has such a compelling history and story. It's just an incredible publication. And so to be able to talk to you um, and learn a little bit about why it's coming back is really exciting for me because I've had an attachment to this publication for a while. So, um, but we'll, we'll get into some of the whys, but I'm, I just want to learn a little bit more about your background. Like where, how did, how did you come to summit magazine now summit journal? Like what, what is your background that led you to, to this publication? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you introduced me, I guess, as the owner of, of summit magazine or summit journal and that is very, very recent. I am just a, a new part of this story. Um, Summit has obviously been around for a long, long time. Um, before acquiring the rights to it recently, I worked for a number of years as an editor at Rock and Ice magazine and then Climbing magazine. And so within that, I was also editing uh, the websites and working on Ascent, which is Rock and Ice's annual magazine. Um, previously published by Sierra Club. We, we worked on Gym Climber and uh, a, a magazine that was out for a few years just in, in rock climbing gyms. So I've been working in and around climbing and mountaineering publications for a while now, since 2016 or so. Um, and I've been climbing. Climbing is, is you know, I'm, I'm obsessed as most climbers are. So I've been climbing without writing about it for a lot longer than that. Well, so where, when did you first encounter Summit? I'm, uh, I'm assuming some of that came about 
you know, in, in the course of your work as a journalist and working in the rock climbing, you know, journalism space, or w- when was that first moment that you encountered or discovered Summit? So I actually first encountered Summit, um, not while doing research for an article or anything like that, but through another climbing journalist, Katie Ives, who was the longtime editor-in-chief of Alpinist magazine, which is a great magazine. And she did a couple articles about the history of Summit, the legacy of Summit, the founders, Helen Kilness and Jean Crenshaw. Um, they were famously uh, loath to do interviews. They, they didn't talk to people, but she got a chance to go visit them in California and wrote a couple incredible short pieces for Alpinist. Um, and so I, I never, I, I probably should have known more about Summit. I, it had crossed across my radar several times for sure, but I, that there was this publication with, with this rich history and all these people associated. And like you said, these incredible covers um, kind of blew my mind. So I started reading more about it and that was the, in the back of my mind, there was always one day like, oh, it would be cool to bring this magazine back. But for a while, that was just, you know, just a, a pipe dream. Yeah. Well, it's such an incredible story. And and I would recommend anyone who wants to dive deeper into that. We've got an episode with um, with Paula Crenshaw um, with, you know, related to Gene and um, where, where Paula dives deeper into the history of the publication and. Um, so would definitely recommend anyone who wants to learn more about the the history of of the publication, listen to that and 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 read Katie's um pieces as well. That's actually where I learned so much about the history of the publication as well and the history of Jean and Helen. Um, such an interesting and important story. Um I, I guess with that said, like um like why summit? And maybe that leads into like some of the impacts that you feel like the publication has had over the decades. It's really incredible, like to have a magazine that ran from 55 to is it 95? 96, yeah. 96. Um, I, I get what are some of the impacts of the publication that really like jump out at you and and maybe motivated you to like want to bring something like this back? Well, it's kind of it's kind of wild. Um from influencing like technical rock climbing in a very serious way in these formative years in the fifties and sixties um, to just broadening representation of who was writing and being covered. It, it, it really, it had a, a, a massive influence, I'd say. So on that former account, Royal Robbins, right. Legendary Yosemite climber. Um, he was one of the editors for summit. Um, Gene and Helen were the, primary editors and publishers, but Royal Robbins was uh, the climbing editor at one point. I think his title changed it over the years, but he wrote a couple pieces, one in particular, Nuts to You, that really kind of moved the needle on the thinking of clean climbing, same as guys like Doug Robinson and Yvonne Trenard, both of whom I believe published in Summit and well, as well. So it was kind of this, you know, space for the top climbers of the day to really think about the ethics of this sport as it was developing. Um, and, you know, climbing magazine wasn't around yet. Rock and ice wasn't around yet. We didn't have these glossy magazines. Um, so it was, it was the space where that was happening. Obviously there wasn't the internet. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, which is just really cool, you would have this piece by Royal Robbins, but then right beside it, you'd have a story about, 
a hiking trip in the Elk Mountains in Colorado or a hiking trip in the White Mountains. It was it was this very egalitarian publication that um, provided a platform for the craziest adventures and the more commonplace adventures. And so I think there's something really special about having having that uh, that dynamic. Um, and so exactly how I will balance that going forward is is, is it something that is uh is very exciting to think about but also daunting yeah that's a really exciting challenge um and I, i'm excited to see how, how you're able to pull that off and confident that you will be able to do that mm-hmm. um, is that daunting i mean coming into this there's such a legacy that comes with this publication but also at the same time i feel like there's plenty of people who aren't familiar with with summit i i encounter people quite often who um, we're helping them discover this publication. Like, it's probably interesting for you. You've you've probably got some of these legacy people who are very familiar with this publication, but then you're going to be introducing a whole new um, generation to to Summit. How how are you feeling about about that dynamic? Yeah, it's it's certainly a a tricky balance to strike. I think, and there's a lot of um, precious uh, feelings about it, and so I I want to. I want to respect those and I, I don't want to, you know, just turn into something that disregards what it was before. But I think um, that's part of what drew me to it. It's It has this rich legacy and this deep history, um, but also because most modern day climbers won't really have any associations, it's this blank slate. Um, so you can kind of transform it, transfigure it into something new that still is at the same time, backwards looking. So, um, a couple examples, basically, kind of inspirations for um, that I'm that have guided my thinking are one Ascent magazine, which I mentioned at the top of the show. It was an annual publication by the Sierra Club, um, and had a, this very literary kind of avant-garde style. And then in the mid two thousands, uh, Rock and Ice magazine acquired it. Um, and kind of transformed it into this really beautiful annual magazine that for my money was, was uh, publishing maybe the best literary climbing work of the day. Um, and it continued up until a couple of years ago when Rock and Ice and Climbing went out of print. So I, that was my first inspiration. And then more recently, uh, Mountain Gazette, um, another publication from the seventies, I think, or founded in the mid sixties. Um, and they've just breathed new life into this this retro publication that published guys like Edward Abbey and again Royal Robbins and had all this really cool artwork. And so, just because people don't remember it, I think you can you can uh, kind of ignite a new interest in the old stuff while also producing new stuff, which is, just seems really cool. Right. And this is something that we deal with and encounter a lot in our work with archives and preserving the history of outdoor brands is I I just feel like even if people can't quantify it or put their finger on it, there's something about like patronizing a brand that's been around a long time or reading a publication that has a long history. There's like there's so much value that comes with like 50 years of history that you just continuity. Right. You just, and there's like this level of trust that, that you put in something that's been around that, that long. And, and of course there's value to like creating new things as well, but there's something I think that like 
I don't know that, that draw, I feel drawn to things that have been around. Um, so I, I think it's, it's really cool that, that you're, you're bringing it back in that way. And I, I think people resonate with that idea, even though I wasn't an original reader of summit magazine, for some reason that speaks to me. Yeah. I don't, I frankly, I don't think there are many original readers that I'm going to be reaching. Um, right. there'll be, there'll be that middle group who remember it and have some associations, but, uh, yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, sure. Um, and another reason, I mean, you know, I could have started a brand new title, but Summit, just what a great title. You know? Yeah, oh, truly. It covers everything. Well, I, I think I'm glad that you brought up Mike um, at Mountain Gazette and the work that he's doing. It seems like the perfect template um, and and he's doing it the, the right way. And um, it's been really fun to see that that come back. And that's only been in the last few years as well, it seems like. So what? Yeah, what do you, yeah go ahead. I was going to say, what do you attribute some of that to? There's, you know, there's a lot of conversations right now in the outdoor industry about, you know, independent media and, and print publications. And it seems like there's kind of a, a push towards print and maybe Mike is driving a lot of that. Um, but I think it's bigger than that as well. Where, where do you see yourself fitting into that launching a print publication? Totally. It's uh, I mean, like you say, I think Mike Rogan, what he's done, with uh, Mountain Gazette, um, he's really tapped into something and I'm not the first one trying to also tap into it after they've tapped into it because um, there does seem to be this thirst and this appetite for print. I mean, I, I've always been a, a print lover, right? Like I, I like holding that, that nice book in my hands and flipping through the pages. Um, but I think there's also, um, as there's just become this, glut of online content you know it there's really good content out there really good articles but a lot of it just gets lost in the noise um and so there's something to be said for having a really carefully curated really high quality piece um and then with some of these bigger companies that are now on multiple media titles um there's there's several out there right um I think the identity of the reader, um, if, if a publication serves some piece of identity, it, it kind of gets lost a little bit. And so the, the independent angle really creating a relationship between the publication and the reader, um, is, it's, it is invaluable, I think. Um, and people really come to, appreciate and respect and value these publications. Um, and I don't know if you can do that when you're just pumping out content. Um, yeah. Right. Well, I, I think it's interesting what you, what you mentioned about, um, I mean, the, the print side and, and, uh, you know, the, the glut of content that exists online and, and the noise and, and getting lost in, in that sea of content. Um, from an archives perspective, we've found, I mean, we're obviously huge advocates of of print as a medium because we just feel very strongly that it's it lasts longer, right? You can put, um, uh, you know, I, I just got a magazine today, and I can put it in the archive space here on campus, which is climate controlled. You can put this material in an archive, and it'll be there for hundreds, if not thousands, of years if it's preserved the right way, um, versus something that's digital that. It, it can be removed 
from uh, online, right? Or the Several files can get corrupted. And pieces I've written in the past few years um, for wayward publications that have, have gone the way of the dodo are no longer findable unless you happen to, unless they happen to be on the Wayback Machine, the Internet right. Archive. Some of them right. are, but some of them aren't. So yeah, it's, but it's it, it's especially hit home with us with um with some of the publications specific to the outdoor industry. Um, so there, and we especially love journalists and in, in the archive, because you all act as, as the historians of the industry, you're documenting what's going on in the industry at the time, in a way that brands don't do. Um, and so for example, in our collection, we have what we think is the only known, um, complete collection of snooze newsletters. Nice. That became out, outside business journal, of mm-hmm, course. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't think there's any other publicly available complete collection of those newsletters. When did, when did Snooze debut? Oh, it was probably in the 80s. I think wow, I'd have I to go check. Realize, I didn't realize it was that long ago. Yeah, it's been running for a long time. And and you you look at those those um newsletters and it's documenting, oh, so and so acquired this company and so and so got promoted and um, you know, just things that are not documented anywhere else and are certainly not online. Um, so it, for, for us, you know, there's, there's such a value in print. Um, and I'm happy to know that, that you're bringing back a, a, a really in, incredible print publication. Um, I, I, I didn't get to mention this earlier uh, when we were kind of talking about summit as like a launching pad for ideas and a platform. Um, that's one of the things that I, I typically like to attribute to summit is, being this launching pad. Um, and I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this for brands in particular. I've seen some of the earliest um, advertisements from the North Face or Chenard equipment. Like, I, I don't know if Summit has necessarily gotten that attention or or been attributed in that way to being a launching pad for the brands as well. Like I've, I've seen North face logos that I've never seen anywhere else. Yeah. And some of those earliest ones. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that as a launching pad for some of these key brands? Um, frankly, have not worked on the brand side, right? Like that's, it's, it's less familiar to me, but I know, you know, you summit was the, it was core to use a, a modern day slang word, right? Like people who were, reading it were the people that brands wanted to reach. Um, and so it seems like I'm sure the North face and people, they, they wanted to really it, you know, reach them on their level. And so they were experimenting and trying to be cutting edge. And I think with the modern day print publication, you know, we're not going to have a hundred thousand subscribers, but they're going to be the core for readers. So you'll, I, I'm hoping to have the North Face and brands like that in there. Um, I was talking with uh, Greg Thompson, who used to run uh, Adidas uh, Outdoor, I think, or Agron. Um, and he and his brother founded Wilderness Experience back in the day. And I, I told him my plans about resurrecting Summit. And he was like, oh, yeah, we had our first advertisement in Summit with Wilderness Experience. And so many of these brands can trace their heritage back there, which is, which is really cool. Uh, there's, you look, um, there's, I mean, there's great issues from 1963, um, with the American Everest expedition and, you know, you have, uh, Norman Dyronforth on the cover from the year before that. And 
Um, but then you have REI with an advertisement when it was just a small company and, and um, Jim Whitaker, first American to summit Everest, uh, writing in the letters to the editor. So it, it was this, it, the brands I think were very much forming their own identities alongside this sport. You know, they were, they were figuring out what they were going to be. I'm, I'm already seeing like the very compelling pitch that you have for advertisers, right? It's like, yeah. be, a part, be a part of this longstanding, you know, it, it institution of the outdoor industry that really gave the industry a leg up and was the launching pad for so many key brands. So some um, of those ads are so funny too. They're, they're so retro and let's go hiking guys, you know, it's, yeah. it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. I, so Greg and Jim, I'm glad you mentioned them. They're, they're friends of the archive. We've, we've talked quite a bit with them and we have an episode with them as well. And the history of oh, wilderness great. experience They're They're great. Um, yeah. So it's, it's interesting that you're able to, you know, get buy-in or, or at least connect with people that were there. Right. And, and understand the value of, of summit. And now you're communicating that to, to another generation. Um, I, I kind of maybe a, a fun segment, at least for me, do you have any, any favorite covers from the the collection? I do have a couple favorites. Um, I can't tell you, maybe you'll be able to tell me the year and month. I don't know them off the top of my head, but there's one. Um, it's my favorites tend to be the illustrated covers more than the photographic ones. Um, and there's one, I think it might be from 67 or somewhere around there. It's, yellow and it's the these few climbers at the top of a mountain um kind of all staring off into space they're all illustrated um it's really just kind of striking and then some of the very simple ones there's one it's just a solid blue background with a silhouette of someone i think looking up at the you know a few twinkling stars and then of course um sorry (laughs) you asked for one and I'm, i'm listing a bunch um the the Sheridan Anderson cartoons are just are just classic. Um, you know the, he would sneak in these crass little Easter eggs, basically that are that are and they're funny even without them. So those are those are probably my favorites. If you weren't going to bring up Sheridan, I was going <laughs> right. to bring bring him up. Um, and and Sheridan is interesting. We oddly enough the university, we kind of have a connection to him. Um, so as you probably know, he went on to write and illustrate the, uh, Curtis Creek manifesto. Um, and the Curtis Creek is just, I can see the Canyon where it's located from my office here. So it's within our same Valley and that's where he would go to fish when he was living here in Utah. So we, we have a Sheridan connection, um, that, that, you know, drew me to him, but all of his are my favorite. I'm looking at one that it's, I think it's the, the nut wearing the boxing gloves. Oh, it's so good. It almost looks yeah. like you look at it really briefly and I swear it looks like SpongeBob SquarePants, yes. but then you look at it closer and it's this totally, you know, irreverent take on what, what it's the nut having knocked out the piton. Is that what that's the, right? The, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're also they're also good. Um, you know the the other one that we posted on Instagram on our Outdoor Rec Archive account that was extremely popular was the dog wearing the uh, the helmet and climbing gear. That was a yeah. favorite. So, um, I mean, people love dogs, right? The crag dog. Uh, 
I don't think I'll be putting a dog on the cover anytime soon, but you know, the people seem to like it. So I might have to rethink that. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> there's, there's uh, another, there's a rock and ice cover that I also really like just as quick aside of weird climbing covers with a lizard on it. And you're going to have to go look that up. It's just, it's just a lizard climbing the rock, like macro. Yeah. It's, in. it's, it's, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, that's one of the things that I, I know a lot of people are drawn to with, with Summit is just how striking the covers are. And I, you know, I I feel like some of that is lost today. And I don't know if that's because of how analog it felt for them to create each one of these covers. And I actually don't know the story behind a lot of them. I mean, was it was it Helen and Jean creating a lot of the covers? Was Were they commissioning? I know they commissioned quite a few. Um, and, and you know, their photography, but where do some of those early covers come from? Do you have, you know, to... I'm not really sure. And that's something I should, um, talk to Paula about a little more. Cause I'm sure she knows, but you look, I, I was just looking through earlier this morning, some of these old ones, um, you know, that these like, uh, color washes, it's got like a mountain that's tinged yellow or pink or blue. Um, and, um, the ones that aren't photographs, but also aren't cartoons, but are just this kind of art deco-y kind of illustration. They they don't always have a cover credit, like a photographer or an artist. So I'm I wouldn't be surprised if they did something themselves, um, some of that themselves. And it's worth uh, checking with Paula because I mean they were they were making the magazine themselves in in Summit House in the San Bernardino Mountains, right? So they were printing it, stapling it. Uh, Paul was telling me a story a couple of weeks ago about how they would have stapling parties and, you know, it was, Oh, they were doing it all themselves. So. Well, I can't imagine you're going to be having stapling parties necessarily, but I, I know that you're going to be trying to channel that, that level of like care into this publication. How do you, how do you do that? I know you it's, it's different in a lot of ways and the world that we live in is different, but I, is that something you think about? Like, how do I capture the the authenticity, the craftsmanship that went into this publication? Yeah, I'm definitely trying to make a really, really high quality, beautiful print product. Um, so I will not be stapling it myself <laughs> because I am not that gifted. I'm not going to be printing it here. I'm I'm going to try to print it uh, at uh, there are a couple of different printers, but I settled on one that does amazing, amazing work. Um, but I for sure do want to keep that grassroots kind of feel to it. So there are elements of the original summit, um, that I want to carry over. So a classic, the, the, the back content, I think it was called scree. Um, and then later there was a edition in, in the nineties, the second iteration of summit, uh, they made scree into the front matter. And so I want, I'm, I plan to have a section called scree, you know, that will hopefully have some community content and, and represent that, that grassroots element that they were, that they were using. Well, you talked a, a little bit now about kind of the second iteration of summit. So the publication sold in, when did it sell from Helen and Jean to the new owners? I'm not sure if they, oh. if the, they signed the contract in 1989 or 1990, but it was one of those. And they sold it to this guy, David Swanson, um, who 
is a lovely guy, fascinating life and has done some crazy stuff. He's in his eighties now, but he was a president of the Explorers Club. Um, and was very good friends with, uh, John Harlan, the, the elder, not John Harlan, the third. Um, and when they bought it, when, when, uh, David bought it, they reconceived of it as a, uh, glossy quarterly. So it went from this nearly monthly, um, you know, uh, kind of do-it-yourself operation um even while it had grown and become had gained much of a much more of a following since 1955 um to a magazine that was trying to uh kind of elevate what what the the um uh mood of it was if i guess makes sense so um they uh had John Harlan III um, as an editor. David hired him and published some really wonderful stuff in the 90s as well. So John Krakauer wrote for them a couple of times, Mark Jenkins. Uh, it, but, you know, it was, it was a different magazine and I think the, there wasn't quite the appetite for it that there had been before, so it didn't, didn't stay around too long. Right. So, and that's when the transition from magazine to journal happens and you've decided to stick with, with journal. Any, any thoughts behind that? What's the reason for keeping the journal? Yeah. So it was, it was summit magazine and then it was summit, the mountain journal. Um, and I considered using both, but I'm the way I am relaunching summit is as a print only biannual publication. Um, so it's, it, feels more like a journal just by its frequency in, in my mind at least um and i thought it is a nice nod to both prior iterations to, to the history uh and additionally there's also this is not the main consideration but in the uk there is the, the british mountaineering council has their own publication called summit magazine <laughs> okay well i think uh, for all of those reasons Summit Journal makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we're we're kind of coming to the end, but what? How do people connect with with the publication? I guess when do you? I, we're recording this a little bit early before the launch, but when when can we expect to launch? And how do people begin to subscribe? And so I've been working on this for a number of months now, and the plan is to announce it officially on August eighth, and then print and ship the first issue to subscribers roughly six months after that. So uh, there's a good bit of runway to kind of reach the target in terms of number of subscribers. But that being said, I've already been talking to a lot of um, contributors for the first issue and um, folks I want to have involved. And the uh, excitement is, is pretty high. I would say I've been talking with Conrad anchor, um, with uh, Jerry Galwas, with Keith Zadzinski. Um, some of these are names that if you're in the climbing world, they, they're, they're pretty big folks. Um, some, some have been around a while, some younger. I was talking with Connor Herson, who's a young up-and-comer, and he's, uh, he's also psyched. So the, the feedback I've gotten from the climbing community that I've talked to has already been really high, really great, because 
I think um, there's there's no uh, print publication that's really serving the broad middle anymore. You know, there's Alpinist, like we mentioned earlier, is, is a wonderful publication, um, but uh, pretty focused on icy and snowy stuff. And Summit, same as it was when Gene and Helen owned it, I think um, will cater to all kinds of rock life, all kinds of albums. Um, so it should be really exciting. Well, we're very excited as well. We've been lovers of Summit for a long, long time. Um, we've been happy to participate in the preservation of the the, the publication, and uh, to now be a small part of of the you know this this rebirth. Um, so anything that we can do to support and promote, um, you know, we're we're happy to happy to do so. Um, but just excited to to see that there's people out there who care about the history. Um, and there's opportunity to, to bring some of these great legacy publications and brands back, back to life. Um, I think that that goes to show that people crave and, and really value, um, this type of work. So I, you know, all the success to you, um, Thank we're you. really excited for the launch. Um, yeah. Yeah. As, uh, as Mike Rogie of, of mountain Gazette, um, I like to say print ain't dead. And I, it really is. I think there's a, there's a new Renaissance of, of small, independent print publications happening and couldn't be more psyched to be a part of it. Um, so yeah, check out summitjournal.com. Uh, we'll, we'll look forward to having, having you guys agree. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you again for the time. This has been great. And we're excited for, for the relaunch. Thanks so much, Jason. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, Watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.